This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back, listening to Militantly Mixed. Hi and welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine, and I have so much to tell you guys this week. Last week I didn't really do my normal intro thingy because the the way our episode was formatted last week was sort of a, a little bit of a switch up, but uh, we're going to go back to our normal ways. This last weekend, I will actually just this weekend, yesterday, I was attended and volunteered to participate and help with the audio for the Women in Media Holiday Luncheon, uh, annual holiday luncheon. I've only just joined the organization in the last six months or so. I'm friends with uh, Tema Stagg. She is the executive director. I met her through a podcasting class that was taught by Sharon Houston, who I've mentioned on the podcast before. And uh, Tema asked if I could uh, help out with the audio, which I basically wasn't supportive because I still kind of do like at home level audio. Uh, There was luckily someone there of more experience than I am, Venus, who I may get on the show because she turns out to be mixed race as well. Uh, Venus Leone. Uh, But anyways, digressing. Uh, So I got a chance to attend this holiday luncheon and there were guests that were honored for their excellence in different aspects of the entertainment business. And two of those guests were producer Shelby Stone, who is the producer of The Chai, and she did Lackawanna Blues. And there was also Camille Friend, who is the head of the hair department at Marvel. Well, Specifically on individual movies, she did uh, Winter Soldier. She did basically the last five movies, including Black Panther. And she's the reason why we got to see Miss Angela Bassett in those gray dreadlocks and everything like that looking all amazing. But I got, luckily enough, I got a chance to speak to both of those women. And that was a a great honor for me. Nate Moore, also the producer of Black Panther, was there as well. I didn't get a chance to talk to him, but I, during the Q&A portion of it, I stood up and asked a question of the two black ladies on the panel. Um, there were, the other two women on the panel were, were Asian, so it was an entirely woman of color panel, which I appreciated quite a bit. But I asked a question specifically about when in the industry you're dealing with white allies or people that assign themselves as allies, but actually are very problematic. How do you maneuver that into the industry? Because like in most places, the the industry is such that, you know, you piss somebody off and you're never welcome back to another job. And it kind of, you can get your career derailed really quickly in this business. So my question was sort of about maneuvering that, like, how do you be honest and, and teach somebody about their problematic behavior when they think they are not problematic? Those answers to that question is kind of difficult. And, and it timed out while we were, Camille was the one who gave her answer. And she was like, you know, people, luckily, she's at a point in her career where she's kind of she has a reputation of working really hard and being great and wonderful. But she will tell you the truth, whether you appreciate what the truth is or not. But she'll try to do it in a way that is diplomatic and and helpful in in educating people. And then uh, Shelby Stone, we actually talked after the event had ended because, um, you know, I didn't want to tie up the entire panel and and somebody else had, had a question to ask, too. So we got to speak after the event, which was pretty awesome. And she held my shoulder in my hand and while we were talking and uh, we were sharing stories, swapping stories and everything like that. And it's, it's just kind of crazy that someone at my level that have experienced what I've experienced and someone at her level, you know, high level executive producer has pretty much had the same types of things happen where white people who think they're down or think they're allies have said some of the most racist 
things to us. So we were kind of having this conversation and other people who wanted to speak to her as well were listening. And the the jaw drops of the white women that are around us saying like, that's happened to you. That's happened to you. It's like, and we basically both at the same time without even, we weren't, this wasn't planned. We turned to them and they're like, this is an everyday thing for us. So it was, it was a pretty crazy experience. I'm glad that I participated. Luckily that I was able to volunteer so that I could participate in the event. But getting that chance to, to watch women of color on the panel speak about their experiences in the industry and how things have changed for them, um, if they have at all. And then also the realistic and honest answers of like, look, the climate has shifted so many times that things aren't actually improving when you think that they are, when you hope that they are. And and you have to still be realistic about those expectations as you enter in this industry, entertainment industry. And so it was it was a nice dose of reality for women that can maneuver the world in such a way that they don't have to be grounded in reality all the time. And for those of us that are super duper grounded in reality, it was a way of being just represented and seen and like, hey, someone is speaking, uh, someone with some power is speaking on our behalf. So that was a great day yesterday. Also, my boy Blurred Vision from Blurred Comics and I went to go see the early screening of Aquaman. And we're going to do our spoiler full uh, review of that on this week's show on Thursday. So you can check that out. And also his daughter Beans was in attendance with us and she got to participate in the review as well, which was a lot of fun. So uh, stay tuned on Thursday for Bird Comics to hear our spoiler-filled review of Aquaman. But yeah, so that's what's been going on. It's been a pretty busy week. And we, so a couple weeks ago, we spoke with uh, Salam from Ethiopia. And she and I have exchanged emails a little bit since that thing. And uh, she's been very appreciative of some of the messages that I've shared with her that I received. But she's kind of hungry for more. She was like, please tell tell, you know, share me any messages that people have about my episode. And, you know, she wants to engage with other mixed race people around the world. So if you listen to the episode from a couple weeks ago with uh, Salam Jordan in Ethiopia, feel free to hit us up on our social media so I can share those messages with her. You can email me at Charmaine at Militantly That's S as in Sam, H-A-R, M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, E at militantlymixed.com. And as always, you can follow us on all of our social media platforms, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. Hit us up. Let us know how you're feeling about the show. Tell us about specific guests that you, you know, want to hear more from or you have some questions for them. I'm happy to share them. And now we're on to this week's episode. This week, my guest is Allison Hart. She is the author of the book Mostly White, which is a mixed race narrative. It's fiction. It's, it's really about four generations of mixed race women and the different various ways they've had to maneuver their life. Uh, I think the earliest character is dated um, in the 1890s or something like that is is when the the eldest character is that's what their time is. And so she says it's semi-autobiographical because there are aspects about the the generations of her family or the women in her family that are laced in the story, but it is not a straight autobiographical story because she doesn't have the stories to put in there. This is her way of sort of working out her own feelings about her mixed race heritage and the intergenerational trauma that gets passed down through women who don't maybe have a way to speak about their mixedness or or at least they're not dealing with it in a way that helps or aids the the next generation. We had a wonderful conversation. It actually went on for about an hour and a half, but I'm going to give you about an hour of it. And she's more than likely going to come back on the show eventually too, because we just had such a wonderful conversation. And she is actually going to be here local in the Los Angeles area in 
January. She's not from the area, but she's going to be down here doing a reading in Pasadena at the Romans bookstore. That's Romans with a V. And that's going to be on January 8th at uh, 7 p.m. I will be there in attendance as well. So it'll give me an opportunity to meet in person a guest that I've had on the show. And hopefully if you are in the L.A. or Pasadena kind of area and you want to come down and meet us, you know, we can have like a little impromptu militantly mixed uh, meet and greet while we're there. So I'm looking forward to that. And I do hope that if you listen to this episode, you'll be pretty intrigued and you'll want to buy that book of hers. I bought it. Um, I ordered it through a, a local woman owned bookstore and it did take a little bit longer to get there, but I do have it now. So I'm going to crack the pages as soon as I get this episode edited and uploaded. And I hope that you will, if you are interested in purchasing it, that you will try to go through a local POC, WOC, LGBT, anything um, bookstore versus one of the big big stores or Amazon just because, you know, I think small business things matter. It does help your direct community if you buy from a bookstore locally. And, you know, Bezos already has all of our money, so he doesn't need any more. So try to support the local bookstore if you get a chance to do that. I don't really want to say too much about the episode before we go into it because I, you know, I want it to speak for for its own. And I just want to say that my continued gratitude to everybody that listens to the show and supports us. Uh, We have had some growth uh, over the last couple weeks, which I I appreciate. And I hope that in addition to your interest in listening to the show, that you also do look up the the people who participate, our guests, and, you know, follow them on social media if they leave their social media handles and engage with them directly as well. Because I think, you know, mixed people need to find a community and Militantly Mixed is here for that. And while I am not the best on staying up on the Facebook groups, I am promising that I'm going to try. I do hope that we get to engage more often so that we, you know, so that no one out there is feeling too alone in their mixedness. There are people out there and we are here trying to unite and be cousins around the world. So if you're feeling a little desert of mixedness in your life, hit us up on social media, connect to our guests, send in questions, send in ideas, recommend guests even. That's happened a few times and uh, let's stay connected. Let's 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 grow this militantly mixed army. I don't know, <laughs> militantly mixed militia, something like that of people that just want to love and support each other in their mixedness because it's it's changed my life. I know I've said it several times, but it really has changed my life over the last six months to be doing this show. And I hope that those of you who are listening who have been the lonely mixed kid are feeling a little less lonely now that you know that we exist. And check out the other shows on the Main Hustle Media Podcast uh, Network. We have Black Radical Queer, which airs on Wednesdays. That is, uh, Javia Nicole is the host of that show, and she curates an excellent array of guests and and solo episodes talking about Black Radical Queerness and also Blurred Comics with myself and Blurred Vision, where we talk about blackness and blurred shit like crazy. Uh, We are both Marvel people, so sometimes there is a pro-Marvel slant on our show. Um, I am going to try to bring in some DC pro DC guests so that we can have some good discourse on the uh, on on the Marvel versus DC thing but ultimately I think the important thing is that black geeks and mixed black geeks are out there and we love comics too and so that's what that show is about so check us all out see all of our shows we also got a couple other shows coming down the pipe down line one is going to be a scary campfire style story podcast which I'm not going to reveal the title of that yet because we're still putting in the finishing touches but we'll hope to get that out there so if you have any 
scary stories that you would like to tell from a POC perspective, uh, hit us up um, on all of our social media platforms as well, Main Hustle Media, Blurred Comics, or Militantly Mixed, and we'll get your stories put on there. And I know I've mentioned it before, but we're also still collecting stories from the first time you ever did anything, anything under the sun, drive a car, ride a horse, bake a cake, whatever. Tell us your first time stories so that we can uh, add it to that show as well. And those will air sometime in the 2019. It just depends on how much content we get built up before before we start loading it out. So a lot of big changes coming for Main Hustle Media, and we hope that you are um, enjoying every show that we have on the network, including the ones that are coming down the pipe. So without further ado, I'm going to jump over to our episode with Allison Hart. Again, she is the author of the book Mostly White, which is a intergenerational four generations of mixed race women, their stories and how they impacted the next generations. So here we go. For another episode of Militantly Mix, and my guest today is Allison Hart. She is the author of Mostly White. Allison, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody and let's get into it. Hey, thanks so much. I'm so glad to be on here and thanks for the invitation. And yes, my name is Allison and I am mixed race and I've written a book which is a mixed race narrative of generations of women based on my mixed ancestry. I am African-American, Passamaquoddy, Native American, Irish, Scottish, and English. And I'm just so glad to be here to talk with you about mixedness and just really inform and let people know what's, what's happening, what's out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you, too. Are we, uh, so people who listen to the show know that I do have sort of pre-conversations with my guests just to, to kind of get a, a lay of the land for, um, for the people I'm speaking with. And, and when you and I got to speak, I, you know, I wasn't even prepared necessarily for the direction that our conversation went, because that's that's what happens. We're just getting to know each other and trying to see what aspects of mixedness we're going to talk about. And besides the book, apart from the book, which I am extremely excited about as a mixed race person, not getting access to narrative stories about not just mixed people, but in this case, multi-generational mixed people. Some of the some of the topics that you and I discussed were also very like, oh, yes, we need to talk. We need to have this conversation. And uh, part of that having to do with sort of the trauma surrounding forced mixedness that sent, that tends to have happened in the United States, especially with indigenous people and with people that were descendants of slaves. So I'm ready to get into everything, <laughs> everything that you want to talk about, because mm-hmm. every little bit that we add to the show just paints a way bigger picture for our audience of what it is to be mixed in this world. Well, I was thinking about that and I was thinking about how much I longed for a reflection of my own experience. And I would look through it, look for it through books and film and TV. And there are some authors out there that I just want to identify because they've paved the way. And that's Nella Larson. And she was a a mixed African-American 
American writer from the Harlem Renaissance, and uh, Jean Rise, who was, uh, wrote in the 1930s. Also, Danzy Senna, and she wrote a novel called Caucasia in the 90s. And Heidi Doro, and I believe she's she's lo- she's in L.A. I mean, I think that's where she's from. She wrote um, also uh, from a mixed point of view. She is mixed herself. So, so the the impetus to write this is just just having a story that I really needed to put down. And as you said, it also reflects uh, intergenerational trauma, and the characters struggle with that. Yeah, yeah. And it starts in 1890, and it goes up until 1986, and it starts with a mixed black and native girl who is is being um, uh, punished for speaking her language at an Indian residential school. So that's the opening mm. of the book. Mm. So, so, so these things, these, these traumas that, that happen to people, that it, it carries on from generation. And that's one of the themes in the book. And, that, and that's difficult. And being human is difficult. And, and, and mixed people are people. And mixed people uh, struggle with their humanity like everybody else. So I'm not trying to trying to make anybody less than human because we all are. It's just from it's just these characters are 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 mixed. And so that's the um, narrative that is sort of it's still underground. <laughs> it's still underground. Yeah, it's uh, it's so amazing to think about how most of the ethnic groups in the world wouldn't exist without at some point somebody mixing somewhere and it becoming a new thing. You know, um, mm. it just it takes hundreds of years, even thousands of years to start to see those kinds of changes. Uh, I talk about this a lot in, in terms of explaining to people why I choose the word black versus African-American for part of my identity is because I don't see African facial features within my family. And I don't because we don't have a tie to any African culture. I, I don't feel comfortable. If, if anything, I feel a cultural appropriation of Africanness if I make that claim, because to the best of my knowledge, my family had been here for I mean, I, I could count back six generations post slavery. Mm-hmm. And um, and so however many generations there were before that, I don't know when we lost our Africanness. I have no idea. So I don't feel comfortable making that claim. And 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 so I think of us as its own. We are our own ethnic group now. Black Americans are their own ethnic group. They're not. I've, I have recently discovered that we were uh, descend from tribes that are in current day Gabon. But like, I don't feel that I have that connection. I, I have a lot of research to do to be able to feel connected to that culture. And so I think we have become our own thing. And part of that happened through mixing, traumatic mixing in the beginning, you know, and even now, mm. maybe to a degree, there's probably some traumatic mixing that goes on pressure or, or whatever in, in different situations. But to to become what we are here right now, people needed to, to do this mixing. And yet it's still this weird thing that is exotic and new to mm. people and it doesn't make any sense to me that it's not more understood as a thing or that we have more representation in our media in our art in our books and in, in our culture as a whole yeah yeah so i guess what's particular in in this novel which is also particular in my family is um my mother's side of the family which is black and native american and irish and maine maine now people think of maine 
as, oh, that's like only white people live in Maine. Right. Well, what's ironic about that is that's where my roots are. (laughs) (laughs) So um, the Passamaquoddy have been there 30,000 years, right? Uh, And they're still there. Yeah. And uh, the Irish came over and African-Americans, they came up. Uh, through the Underground Railroad, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my family has, have literally been mixing Irish, Black, and Native American for, I mean, since prior to slavery. So definitely. And so I, it isn't like what you're saying. It's, it, it's not this exotic thing, you know? Right. We've, we, it makes people have been around. It's just that we haven't been allowed a space. We haven't been allowed a, a voice or a narrative, right? Yeah. So that's a big reason why I wrote this book to uh, to really flesh out also my mother's story. It was is in many ways it was very difficult for her what her upbringing, and she had a very difficult childhood. So she never talked about it. And then I didn't get to know the, um, you know, the black side of my family. I didn't get to know Mm. anybody. Mm. So there's this incredible wound and this incredible loss and this incredible longing to want to understand. And that was another uh, major pull for me to, to put these words down. Right. So the one of the interesting things that you you brought up when we when we first spoke, and it's it's something that I I don't have words for, but it's feelings that I definitely have when we talk about that intergenerational trauma. Is it's not just whatever the generation above you is uncomfortable sharing because they're dealing with their own trauma. It's also their lack of realizing you are going to receive trauma from their lack of sharing, if that makes sense. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, the, the re- where this comes from in me has more to do with actually my Japanese side of the family. They don't talk about anything. And even within the family, you keep it really tight because you don't want your aunt, your great aunt or your, you know, grandmother, great grandmother or something like that to know this thing. And so when I was growing up, when I would be with my mother's side of the family, I would have to hide that we were black from them. And so all my cousins and and everything would have questions about why my brother and I were so dark in the summer. And we would just, you know, they would ask us what our father was and we'd say American and whatever that meant to them, which I found out years later turned out to be Mexican. They thought we were Mexican that uh, that, you know, I, I had this trauma that I didn't understand until I was an adult. I was feeling of this lack of being able to be myself around my family mm. and knowing how to perform as soon as I was am- amongst the Japanese. Like I knew I wasn't black anymore. And I mm. did. But my grandma was so tight lipped about a lot of things. And it took years and years and years for little bits of information to to filter out. And so while I'm sitting here dealing with my trauma about being black and having to hide it, I didn't know that she's dealing with trauma. So there's all these things that were being passed on to me sort of subtly through just how quiet we were. And as that those bits of information starts coming out later on in life, I realize, oh, I'm dealing with, I'm not just dealing with my own trauma. I'm dealing right. with the suitcases of trauma that right. precede me. And I don't really have, I don't get to talk about it enough. So I don't, I don't really have words put together for, for, what it is about this that I want to that I want to talk about as it pertains to mixedness. I mm-hmm. think, you know, like you're saying, your your mother not being able to talk about 
her feelings and, and the gap that that created for you. And you wonder what she inherited as well. Um, yeah. And that, and I, the novel, it's, it's fictional, but it is a narrative and it, it's a narrative that everybody needs to know or feel rooted, right. in who they are. Yeah. And, and I don't know if this is, you know, particular to a mixed, you know, from a mixed experience having this. But in, in my particular case, I, I really just had to create a narrative for my mom. Right. And, and her ancestors, because honestly, I, I don't know exactly what happened. I don't know. I mean, I did a lot of research. You can look at, I mean, and that's how, you know, the story was brought about as well. Do you find some kind of healing in piecing together a narrative that even even if it's not 100% true? Yes. It fills in a blank for you? Yes, absolutely. And that's why I love fiction and historical fiction. But yes, absolutely. Because the book, it's like putting down, putting down the bags, right? You're talking about the baggage. And I I often say to my son, I have a son who's multiracial and he's, um, you know, 18. And I said, look, I wrote that book because I didn't want to give you that. I didn't want to give you my baggage. No. I mean, he's going to have baggage. Everybody does. I mean, I really, really tried not to give him what was given to me. And I knew I had to throw some down. Right. You know, you're carrying so much. You're like, okay, I've got to put this in a in a form. Right. Or or else. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, so there's healing. There's healing in um, in expression. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's it's evident in some of the guests that I've had where they start out in a place of uncertainty or discomfort in who they are as a mixed race person. And part of that is inherited because their parents, especially biracial people, I, I find this to be, and this is, you know, non-academic, this is just my own uh, small sample size, but especially in biracial people who were raised by the non-of-color parent, mm-hmm. um, the, the non-of-color parent can't prepare them for being a person of color. And right. they can't share the all the the trauma and the history and the beauty and all that kind of stuff of their other cultures in a way that is helpful to that child and if they don't have access to that other parent then all the pain that comes along with that as well but even in the ones that have both parents present those parents as monoracial people have no idea what their child is going through and they don't even know i think in some cases to even consider that their child is going through something um, hmm. So when in puberty or, or times of bullying, when they come home and they're just like, mom, dad, this happened and, you know, blah, blah, and kids are so mean, they just think it's kids are so mean. They're not actually realizing that the trauma is deeper than that because it has to do with not only do ki- other kids not know who I am, I don't know who I am. Right. You need to help me get there. And in my case, I was lucky because both sides of my family were mixed. And while there were cases in which we weren't allowed to talk about our mixedness, I was still surrounded by people that were mixed and, you know, not a one of us was the same color or had the same hairstyle or hair type or whatever, you know. So I had access to that diversity within my family to make me feel a little bit more comfortable in my mixed race skin, even when I didn't Mm -hmm. understand what was going on. But I when we're trying not to pass on that trauma and I'm not going to have children, but um, I I think about this a lot in terms of people on the show, like what. What would we do as mixed race people when we decide to become parents to try to right. create our mixed kids, like what they are going to be? Well, yeah. And I, I, 
I'm going to say that as a, as a parent, um, keeping conversations going, is really important. And me and my son, we're, we're, we're still having conversations about it, yeah. about identity and race and mixedness and this. And I've come to a place with myself where, whereas before I was, I was seeking out, I was seeking out, you know, finding a place with this or that, or, you know, having, being embraced, being fully embraced by some group. And I, Mm. for me now, I'm so, I feel so liberated because I'm not asking a group, any group really to um, let me in or, or what, what have you. Right. Right. I, I, I define my own mixedness and I take, and I'm, I hold everything I am. When did you start to feel like that? Do um, you remember? It's probably been, probably started probably around in my forties. Yeah. So that's where I'm at right now too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. And, And when my son was going through stuff, I just check in with him. And fortunately he has, he grew up with a lot of other kids who are mixed. Mm. And th- this is the one thing that, that has been very liberating for me is um, having the sense that I have a fluidity around race in it and I'm okay with it. That yes. it's not this concretized thing that on the outside it is, right? You're this, 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 or this. Right. It's very, you know, you know, like a box. So, but what's so liberating for me is that, no, I'm all of this. And guess what? I can have a conversation with you and this conversation can can change, can change me. And I can gain even another level of understanding of what this means to be mixed in this body right now. Yeah. Because I feel and or I can, um, you you know, listen to somebody else in their experience. I can who who I don't look anything like. Right. Mm -hmm. Or or I can go back in history and I can read history and I can see, you know, what was going on then and how does that reflect my experience now? So this is an ever changing state that there's a sense that there's a sense of fluidity and impermanence around identity. And that's I don't I I don't even know that. That's a lesson hard learned. Because yeah. I feel that, you know, when you're a preteen and you're going into your teenage years, people are like, find yourself and, you know, try to figure out who you are or whatever. And so you you pick out your type, right? I'm a jock. I'm a cheerleader. I'm a nerd. I'm a whatever band geek or something like that. And everybody has their type. OK, now we figured out this identity. Um, but if you have this other layer of am I black enough? Am I white mm-hmm. enough? Am I Japanese enough in right. my case or, or whatever? You're dealing with that whole thing. And people don't realize that that is the most intense thing mm-hmm. for, you know, at, for a mixed race kid. That's the most intense thing. But you got to hide it because you can't be weird. And so mm-hmm. you keep you keep like kind of tamping it down, tapping it down and then forget about if there's other things going on. Like, you know, me trying to figure out if I was gay or straight when I was in when I was 14 was a whole nother mm-hmm. element of something that was coming in. And um, and we're sitting here, we're trying to figure out who we are. And then we're 20 and we're like, we're 20 now. We know who we are and different things change us. And by the time we get to our 30s, we think we're established. We think we know who we are. And yet there's still moments when if a black person missed me, if they didn't realize I was black or, or give me some sort of indication that they could tell I was black, then I was deflated because, oh, I don't mm-hmm. present black enough. And, you know, like, who am I? Because I identify as mostly black. So I'm so confused. And now at 41... 
um, I it started probably about 37, 38, where I was just like, you know, I've always been a person that would check every box and I would take my stand for being a mixed race person. But I didn't understand what that mixed race identity really meant until getting a little bit older. And I know that it's fluid. That means sometimes I'm professional and sometimes I'm, you know, like a stereotype. Like sometimes that legitimately happens. Um, if I'm with my grandmother, my Japanese grandmother, I change my physical form shifts into a Japanese, a different type of body language because I'm paying mm. respect to my to my matriarch grandmother. You know, mm -hmm. when, when I'm around black people, my posture is different. And when I'm around white people... I'm really super guarded because even though essentially I'm half white, I'm very uncomfortable around large groups of white people because I didn't grow up around them. Mm -hmm. So there's all these things that are happening. And it, it took hitting like 40, 37, 38 before it was starting to get there. And then by 40, I was like, I'm just mixed. Like, that's just it. Mm -hmm. No one's going to tell me what I am. You don't right. tell me I'm exotic. I'm going to stop you right. right there. You know, all that right. kind of stuff. Stop and that right was there. a hard lesson to finally learn because I thought I had it figured out the whole time. <laughs> Well, yeah. So we don't have to stop evolving. Yeah, we can we can keep evolving, you know. And these these labels are just labels. <laughs> yeah, you know. And some of them are self-imposed, but some of them, when they're not self-imposed, and we try to force ourselves to behave accordingly, that's where that's when you start getting those threads of trauma that are so thin they're hard to pluck out. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's just a what's what's difficult. And I can imagine it's difficult for younger people. Like when you're saying when they're coming up and they're it's developmental, they're they're looking to identify as a group. They're looking, you know, they're looking for that concrete kind of this is what who I am. And then there from there, they can go out in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they have this sense and it it's it's you know, that's pro that's developmental. Right. I mean, you need to go through that. Yeah. And so that is, it is challenging. It is challenging to be mixed and, and go and sit in the cafeteria. Where do you sit? And, you know, oh, I know. You know it's like, it, and, and at the same time, it gets you, for, for me, it, it has enabled me to keep coming back to myself and keep going deeper because all, because I had to question everything. Right. Right. So if this group wasn't this going to like me, because if people are just going to keep acting human, because it doesn't matter what group I would go to. Right. Yeah. Human beings are human beings wherever they go. <laughs> you know, maybe have. So they're going to act human. Some people are going to like you. Some people aren't. Some people are going to think you're not this enough. Some people are definitely not going to, you know. Right. Right. So it's just, yeah, it's nice to get to that place now. I got to say, I love being 40. Um, like I, 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 it's nice to be at that place where you can just be like, oh gosh, I don't care about your opinion of what I am. Yes. It's my entire, I own my entire identity and I code switch like the best code switch ninja on the planet. You know, I can be Japanese, I can be black, I can be hood black, I can be, you know, whatever. Like I can switch depending on who I'm at and it is entirely at my prerogative to do so. And it is so amazingly liberating, like you say, to finally be at that place where, like, I, the way I kind of s describe it is being my mixed-ass self. Like, finally, mm -hmm. I get to be this. Or it's like, I'm not trying to get in your club, you know? Right. <laughs> it's like, I'm just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. it's, it's awesome. It's a, yeah, it's actually kind of nice to talk to someone, too, that, that is at that place where they're 
feeling liberated through their mixedness. I, I was speaking to a guest last week who, for him, he has a friend who's biracial who is suffering about his identity. And it manifests in very toxic masculinity type of ways. And he it hurts him because he says, like, I don't understand why my friend finds so much pain in his mixedness because I'm empowered by it. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, maybe he was lucky that he didn't go through that patch of time where he felt the pain through it. But to hear, you know, those two types of things like this is this is a full picture of mixedness. If you don't know who you are, you're not comfortable who you are. You're going to have all this trauma. And it's going to manifest in really, really ugly ways. And if you're empowered by it, you know, then we have this wonderful chance where you are celebrating this person because they've done this. And I get to celebrate you because you've written a book. And, you know, we get to celebrate this guy because he's got an album. And it's awesome. But if you're not there yet, you miss out on that. And it's so hard to crack that shell in people. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think it's uh, everybody is is, you know, has their own journey with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Just as long as I I, for me, as long as I was going to keep looking outside myself for affirmation for my ancestors and my ancestry and what's in my blood. Right. I'm just disempowering myself. Do you find yourself ever angry at yourself? for craving some of the things, some of that validation in mixedness? You mean like from mixed people, a validation? Or mixed, no, or like just from whatever parts of, group, of your mixed history. Yeah, oh, your mixed you know, I've just accepted it. Like I will always have a feeling in terms of since I was never had the chance to really know my black relatives outside of my family, and a lot of them are black mixed. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. There's a wound there. So I'm just very aware of it. Mm. And I really understand it. And and, um, again, that's another reason why I wrote the book so that I could kind of unearth that that side of my family. Um, So I think it's definitely I mean, you know, I'm still I'm still human and we still have these needs. But when I was at I was in Utah, of all places. Oh, yeah. And I my (laughs) publisher, Tory House Press, that high Tory House Press there in there in Utah. (laughs) Utah. (laughs) And um, so they had me do a few readings. I went out there and I was at this bookstore in Ogden and there were some folks from Black Lives Matter there. And it was a very mixed crowd. And um, it was the, the these young ladies, these young teenagers, they were mixed and they spoke about being mixed in black in Utah. It was very powerful. Mm. And so when I, I shared some of the book and I, as I looked out, I just looked and I saw I saw my family, um, yeah. my mom's side of the family, because I have gone to reunions and we're all we're, we're more connected now. And I just looked out and I saw all these different faces from blonde to black. And I thought, oh. That's my family. Right. <laughs> and I look and and I said to these young young girls, we were talking a lot about mixedness and the difficulty of it. And I and I just said, Well, I'm gonna be honest with you. There's not a lot of times where I get this feeling that I'm belonging in this it's very rare that I get this real sense that I'm belonging in a space. Right. Right. But when I do get that feeling, it's so precious. It's so, so, so that's the feeling. And when I, when I, whenever I've done readings, that's the feeling that I get. And especially at that uh, bookstore booked on 25th in Ogden, <laughs> that was a bookstore. I'm, I'm doing a shout out for them. That was a bookstore that I read at. And I had that experience where it was a sense of belonging. 
And it's so precious. It is. And, and it's an oddly rare thing, too, because especially any monoracial people, no matter what color they are or lack of color they are, they will never fully understand. Like, they, everybody understands in-group, out-group, you know, that you're not a part of the thing if you step into a space where people don't look like you everybody understands that kind of stuff we don't understand why we do it we're just compelled to treat people this kind of way but like there's a weird sense of comfort that i think monoracial people don't even realize they have in spaces where people look like them the only time they're aware of it is when they're in, in spaces where people don't look like them where with us literally every single space we step into is this mm -hmm. you know where people do not look like us and i mean shoot even within my mixed race family nobody like some of us don't look alike so um, yeah to try to i know there. that feeling yeah. You know, and you're like, who do I connect with? You know, you try to find that's when you try to find other little ways to bond you. But when you're in a space where people are mixed and they get to talk about being mixed, it's it's such a weird, amazing, sad, relief, happy. It's like all the things you have all, mm -hmm. all the feelings rush through your your body in that moment and the weird thing is is that i can count how many times that's happened to me mm -hmm. and to try to tell that to a monoracial person they're like really you can count how many times you felt like you belonged somewhere oh yeah it's like yeah i literally <laughs> can i actually not literally in the way that a valley girl uses literally but actually literally i can tell you how many times i have felt like i belonged in a space or that i was with quote unquote, my people. Yeah. You know, I get that feeling like when uh, I did a reading recently in, in LA at the library with um, multiracial, uh, multi <laughs> multiracial uh, people, mass, multiracial Americans of Southern California. Okay. So mass. Shout out to right. Sonia. She yeah, was Sonia. on the show. So yeah, so that being there, like I, I feel so comfortable. I feel so comfortable in mixed communities and and reaching out. It feels like then again, again, like what I was saying before, it's such a precious feeling. I, I don't take it. I, I don't take it for granted. Mm -mm. So there's so and oh, I wanted to say one other thing. Oh yeah, that movie Loving. Uh -huh. I took my son to see it, right? And uh, and I looked and I couldn't believe it. And it was the I said to him afterwards, that's the first time in it's taken me 50 years because I'm like in my I'm 52. I it took me 50 years to finally see something that reflected my experience. Yeah. Right. And then I, and then I turned to him and I said, "Oh my gosh, that's that must be what white people feel like all the time." <laughs> no, that's a swear I I the same thing. <laughs> I was like, "Wow!" I'm just getting a little glimmer. Yeah, I thought that was. And you totally feel like you get why people feel some kind of power, right? Like, because I, I had a similar moment. I went to uh, so here in Los Angeles, there's the Japanese American Museum, and a lot of times they they do sort do some sort of mixed race or mixed Japanese. Um, either screenings of movies or readings of books and things like that. They they have a they do cater to it. They also um, are one of the locations that the Hapa Fest, which is a mixed Japanese festival every mm -hmm. year, um, is one of their locations. Is that as well? And a couple months back, I went to an event that was for um, it was about the Japanese War Bride era. So there was three different tiers of Japanese War Brides, and half of the people there on, on the speaking panel were black and Japanese. 
And I so rarely like there's a lot of times that I've been around mixed white and, and Japanese people, but I'm so rarely around black and Japanese people. And it's like the one time in my life where I legitimately saw faces that I was like, oh, okay. that's what I look like. Because I always thought I looked black with yellow skin. Mm-hmm. I wasn't noticing the Asian in my face and in my features and, and things like that. And so I'm around all these uh, like some of them are professors and authors and um, you know, documentarians and things like that. And we catch eyes, you know, mm, like from across mm-hmm. the room. And there's that an instant acknowledgement. Mm. Like, hey, you look like me. Oh, and yeah. um, I get little pockets of mixedness here and there. But that one in particular was really like, mm-hmm. wow. <laughs> wow. You're so we are so powerful for each other when we when we I mean, we can be such powerful influences on each other in positive way. Right. I mean, like yeah. that moment was so powerful for you and that acknowledgement. So that's really it. The validation yeah. from other people. It's a weird thing because I hate that sometimes I still crave it. And, and that's kind of why I asked you the question of do you ever get angry at yourself for for sort of needing moments like that? Um, is because there's times when I think like even now when I feel as comfortable in my mixedness as I am that I still have these moments of like if a if a, a black person that I have no other interaction with besides they walk past and say what's up sis and I'm like yes someone saw me you know mm-hmm. that I still crave these moments or or these bits of connection because I don't have a group. I legitimately mm-hmm. don't. And the closest to having a group I would have is being around other mixed people. And I've only realized through this show that I actually, while I have been craving validation on the black side and on the Japanese side, primarily um, around mixed people or through this show, I realized, oh, I have far more in common with mixed race people than I do of people from my own ethnic groups. So you and I share far more of a, of a shared history, a shared uh, culture, a shared understanding because we're biracial or we're multiracial, multicultural, multinational than if I just walk up to an average black person or Japanese person on the street, hmm. even though I share an actual culture with them. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I guess I'm not so hard on myself because I guess, you know, I see if you spent I, I spent my childhood like having no clue not understanding, not seeing anybody reflected to me uh, that I felt in the outside that I felt represented a positive person of color. I didn't even identify. I mean, I had no understanding of my identity, like zero. Mm. So I guess I'm kind of I, I I can have my moments where, oh, I'd like to belong. And then I don't. And it's like, OK, I mean, it's just being human. I mean, I, we're human. Of course, yeah. that's just like a human need. And so being mixed is that we're 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 on, we're on a daily basis kind of being challenged around them. Right. And so that's not easy all the time. I mean, that that's not emotionally uh, uh, easy terrain to to be navigating all the time. Yeah. So it's yeah. It's, I mean, it's I have my moments though. for sure. But I want to say reading my book is when I feel I feel when I read from my book, I feel so integrated mm. and witnessed because you're reading witnessed. And the last event I did where my idol, Isabel Allende. She introduced me at Book Passage in Corte Madera. And um, I guess to me, it was that experience again, experience, very powerful. And what you were saying, where you felt very, you felt seen and witnessed and acknowledged. That was, that was it for me. (laughs) 
Yeah. So yeah. I did watch. Um, I didn't get to watch all of it, but I, I did watch uh, the video clip from from that reading, and I got to see Isabel do her intro view. And uh, one of the things she said that I I wrote down because it, it it kind of harkened back to the conversation you and I had, but it's also a big part of mixedness in general. She had said, uh, "Trauma is the thread running through the whole novel," and mm-hmm. I, I wrote that down just because I don't know what it is about that that statement in general. I always kind of think of like trauma as, as sort of a thread running through mixedness that even when you can be proud and excited and happy about your mixedness or even engaging with other mixed race people, there's always that seed of trauma. It, it has to be present in, in the, well, for me anyway, in this sort mm-hmm. of way of like remembering to keep me grounded in it and. And don't lose sight of everything that comes before me. You know, I, I, I tend to, I'm Japanese. I tend to live in the past. Um, okay. <laughs> so um, that, that statement that she made really, really stuck with me about, you know, what this experience of getting a chance to read your book will be, which I, for the audience, if you get a chance to read, to, to get the book, go to a local bookstore, preferably a person of color owned. Um, it takes a little bit longer to get it, but I'm excited. <laughs> I can't wait to get it. And and I will have read it by the time uh, you have your reading here in Los Angeles. Yeah. Pasadena, I guess it's going to be. It's it's going to be. So the name of the book is Mostly White, just in case people miss that. And it is, uh, I'm going to be reading in Pasadena of Romans, uh, January 8th at seven. That's a Tuesday. So if you, if you check out Romans, V-R-O-M-A-N-S bookstore events, I'll be there. I'd love to meet you. Especially some mixed people. Right. Because then I'll feel really at home and I'll really feel like I belong. <laughs> right. So I'd I, love to actually see. I'd I wonder how you, you feel about when you do kind of catch them in the audience, which you did kind of say a little bit like your, you know, your eyes are, are passing over the audience and you see little mixed faces staring back at you and you're just like, oh, my people are here. I, I feel like that, too, in these moments of like what I what I'm doing with Militantly Mixed started out for me. I needed to list. I needed to hear about mixed race people's experiences because it was something that was a gaping hole in my life. And I already know my story, so I need to hear other people's stories. And through the show, I've connected with so many people and I've heard so many different aspects of mixedness. You know, there is commiseration, but there's also just like, what? That happened to you? Mm. Happens a lot. And, you know, I learned so much and I, I, I love these moments when it exposes ignorance that I have because that that's a chance and opportunity for me to learn and grow and everything. And I, I wonder if for you, it's kind of the, the same thing. Like I, I did this for me and then I did it for mixed people. My primary directive is uh, sharing the mixed race experience for mixed race people so mm-hmm. that they feel reflected and represented and visible and heard and all those things. I happen to have a fairly decent sized white audience, which I'm secondarily excited about only because I've had some white people email me and say, oh, I didn't realize I was making this mistake or here I thought I was an ally and I've been messing up all this time. I'm going to try to be better. And these messages are very exciting and encouraging Mm -hmm. also. But at the same time, it's still not necessarily for them. But if it fixes them, I'm excited. (laughs) Well, again, it's this when we have a conversation, when when we have a narrative, we have a place makes people get to talk. I get to talk with you. We get to share. We're sharing experience. Then other people 
who perhaps aren't mixed, they can they can go, oh, you know, can open up the conversation, right? It can open yeah. up an experience that they haven't had. And then, then they can have some empathy. And like, that's the whole, there's, in terms of the characters in the book, they're all different kinds of different characters, right? The four main women are mixed of, you know, black and Native American and Irish kind of mix. So, but what, there's, there's not one character that I'm trying to say, this person is better because they are this. I mean, they're all very human and they're all, they all got holes and, 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 and wounds and they're struggling. So my, I hate this word and I'm trying try to find another word, but hope. Okay. That's it. Hope. Okay. My hope, cause for lack of a better word is that when people read the book that they can, they, that they will perfect, perhaps have empathy for, for a character that's different than themselves. Yeah. And like, when we have that, then that's when we can, it, it pushes us, it pushes us, it, it pushes our consciousness into someone else's experience. The more we have of that, the better at this point. Right. It does feel like we're living in a time where empathy isn't the biggest quality most people have. And it's not awesome that, um, that we have to scream so loud for our own humanity. Um, but that does tend to be, it does seem to be what's happening in a lot of spaces right now. So getting these moments of sharing something that does open people's eyes and hopefully does expand uh, who receives empathy from them, I think is is one of the most important things that we can be doing right now. And I think it has to come from your own place. Like we have to be shouting out on our own behalf because we can't sit around and expect other people to do it for us. And hopefully... The more that somebody reads your book or listens to this podcast or hears this person's music or watches this person's mo- movies that we that everybody starts to pick up and, and do their own project or business or, or creative outlet that that expresses that mixedness and hopefully does add to somebody's empathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're out there and you have a vision or a dream or something you want to do, do it. Do it. It, it, do it. So you and I have talked uh, offline. We talked about how we we had this gap and we needed to fill it with our activity. You know, for, for you, you're, you're a poet before you actually come to the to the narrative story, right? Um, mm-hmm. Is this your first published narrative or? Um, my poetry book was published in 2015, Temp Words, um, by Cosmo Press, and so and I've had I've been published in my poetry has been published elsewhere and my short stories and yeah i had a play that oh my play it's about passing that would be a good yeah, topic that's, for this show. that's another topic we need to we need to get on yeah yeah passing has become a part of of this story as well i've, I've had a few guests that have had this experience and it's it's an area i was always curious about but didn't have enough empathy for because I didn't, I wasn't exposed to it. And so now, you know, not that I was cold or anything like that, but just that I didn't, I didn't know how much people who were in the passing situation uh, needed embracing. So this is, this is what's interesting is that I sometimes have no clue if I'm passing or not. It really Mm. sometimes, because I'm very light Yet I look kind of racially ambiguous, right? Yeah, you do. So, so there are times, like, I just have no clue how people are reading me. It's funny. And it, it, I just, yeah. So, and then I just, I just kind of wait and see. 
Yeah, let's wait to see up, what someone thinks. Cues. It's like, yeah. So it's interesting. There's a, there, lately there was this one time uh, this woman asked me, "Well, what are you?" And I looked at her and go, "What do you want me to be?" Right. <laughs> you know, what are you? That was the other thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's yeah that whole thing. What are you? And oh, really? I don't see the black. Yeah, I get oh, that. Gosh. Oh, Color really? Don't even I don't see really black. Oh, no. But I get that from white people. I get that from black people. But then sometimes I get from black people. Oh, no, you look like um, you look like um, my cousins or something like that. Like, right. you know, they're cousins that are mixed or what have you. So it's the what are you thing is strange or the colorblind thing is strange because they think that it is a compliment to us that they don't see what makes us unique or different or anything or or they don't even or that they assume we don't want to be different or that they have the power to um, to identify. Right. Me. Right. Like they have the power there. It's their job to identify me now. That's, um, that's why we create and why you have a podcast and why I write. Right. You just got to get it out like mm-hmm. you have to get it out. And and. And tell me how you feel about this, because it's not something I thought about until just this exact moment. I thought I was getting it out. I thought I was, you know, I thought I was expressing myself and I was working through my feelings. And and then through this podcast, I've realized, oh, my gosh, I barely scratched the surface on some of some of the ways I feel about about things. But I the now that I'm getting to do this, I uh, there's even more power. Like there's even more. Oh, gosh, what is it? It's a weird thing of like more fire to keep going, but at the same time, it's like a cool fire because it's like validating and I'm feeling like both of these things are going on in my system at the same time. It's it's both relief and, you know, fire to keep going. Do you feel that um, I guess you did kind of say that when you say when you're when you're doing your reading, you you kind of get that. Do you do you feel that for everything that you create, it's you have to keep going? There's still more that you need. Absolutely. To do? I have. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, there's more. Definitely more books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think when we first spoke, one of the the uh, things that I was talking about is like, I'm excited about the, you know, knowing that your books exist and, and knowing sure that there probably were other books. But uh, for whatever reason, I hadn't investigated down that path or I hadn't seen that many. There's only a few books that I actually have myself um, that I'm that I've read or am reading about mixedness. But the idea of your book made me excited because I'm like, I'm I'm writing for the day where I can walk into a bookstore and there's a whole shelf that's dedicated to mixed race, you know, like do you think that could that could why couldn't there? But we got to get there. We got to be encourage our other Mm. people to keep doing it. Right. So right now I can walk into a bookstore and I can see the African-American section, right? You know, there's not a white section because the whole store is the white section, but there's like the Asian section and the Latin section. And one day I want to walk past and I want to be surprised by it too. I, I, I want to just be in a store and it's just sitting there, mixed race section, you know, like mixed mm-hmm. race stories or narratives or whatever. Yes, um, and why your, not? And your book would be on that shelf. Why not? I say, let's bring out the shelf. Let's make that shelf. <laughs> I'll just just bring a shelf in from Ikea let's just and bring like, a walk shelf. it into a store and be like this is here now <laughs> bring the shelf and we'll find a space for it. right oh that's great wow that's brilliant yes yeah because why not this is an experience it is this is an experience there's some tools you got to develop to be mixed 
in this world. You gotta right. develop some tools. You, you really gotta do. have some medicine to keep going through this and, and keep strong and centered. Oh, you did oh, say yeah. something about that the first time we spoke. You talked about kind of creating your own medicine. Is that is that how you is that how you say it? Yeah, I do. So um I I have found my medicine that works for me and I think everybody has medicine that mm-hmm. works for them. For instance, um writing. I'm a singer. I I music is important. I also dance. Uh, meditation, being in community with others, uh, nature. So these things that I see, this is medicine. And in order for me to keep going, I got to make sure I I take my medicine. (laughs) (laughs) And it's often the daily thing. Uh, So we all all need to find that. We need to find what's going to keep us more than just survive. We need to keep, you know, we need to keep our vibration up. Yeah. We need to keep it up because what's happening in this world right now, they, they want, you know, they want to bring us down. Right. And in order to keep moving forward and taking the actions that we need to take either individually and, and as a, you know, as a group to change things, we got to keep, we got to, like, we have to have some strong medicine. We got to keep taking it. Oh, I'm so excited that we connected. I just haven't had this kind of a conversation yet where so, so far my experience on the show, primarily, not entirely, but primarily has been because I'm the one doing the show. I'm sort of accidentally an expert. And so I'm there helping the people talking because the people who have gravitated towards the show so far have been seeking that medicine Uh through, through the show and inadvertently through me. And there's been a couple people who have been super empowered and and everything like that. And so it's just conversation. But this conversation, Allison, um, I I don't know how to say it. Like, I, I, we're just have, <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out. Okay, so it's it's something like what probably white people feel. <laughs> On a regular basis, that they can just funny. have a conversation about being themselves, just whatever. But because we're mixed, our context is mixed, and we seem to be at similar levels of comfort and confidence with within our mixedness. And so we're just talking about that level. And I have never had that before, really. Okay, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I've had glimpses of it, but there's something special about this in particular that I I don't have a I don't have a way to describe it. It's I'm I I love the way that I love the things that you say. <laughs> oh, well, I'm I am so it's going to this I have a feeling this conversation is going to going to resonate with me for a long time. It has that kind of feeling where yeah. you're um you don't have to hide. There was something that you said I hope well, I hope it was okay if I if I repeat it. You said something about when we first talked about you came out of the closet of being mixed, like you right. came out. Yeah. And I really relate to that. I describe after, it as after, that. And, and, you know, I got to tell you that I think that this book is like, okay, look, and I'm black. So leave me alone. Right. You know, like I'm coming out. Right. I'm mixed and I'm black and I'm Native American. And, I, and this is just this sense of relief. Yeah. I guess what I have is relief. Yes. Because uh, in so many ways, this book is, is a coming out. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And of my ancestry, my ancestors, and a mixed narrative, which is fiction and also part of my experience, mm-hmm. you know. 
as a mixed person. So there's a lot of relief in that. So, so we are kind of this hour flown by crazy. Yeah, it has. Um, but we're, we're getting close to, to the end. And there is a question that I realized throughout the a lot of this show that we end up talking so much about trauma and that not always do we end in such a way that is healing or an attempt to heal or something like that. And and just to kind of set us on a, on a path where like we've now we know the story, story we have a we have a sense of, of the good and the bad. But what mostly do you love about being mixed race? I am never bored. <laughs> That's the first thing that came to my mind. That's awesome. <laughs> true it certainly isn't boring um, it isn't between the people trying to figure out um what are you bingo and um and all and then like you trying to figure out who you are and then all your ancestors mm-hmm. and figure all them out right, right? <laughs> i mean holy my goodness you don't have time okay. to be bored all right so if, before we wrap up though there is there any other types of things that you you want to share get, with the audience sure i'm going to plug my website okay it's, mo- it's www.mostlywhitenovel.com you can go on there um order the book through IndieBound or through tory house press you just click on you know some icons you want to order the book and also it has a list of my events um let's see i'll be at roman uh january 8th and that's in pasadena and i'll be there at seven o'clock so please come out mixed people and if you're not mixed come out too and it would be great to share uh, my book with you and for every person who buys the book also buy a book for another mixed race person in your life and oh. let them get a chance to have that exposure because i think it's not only that we seek it, but we don't realize that we need to share it. We need to spread this stuff around because you don't know what the other mixed race people in your life are missing and can't talk about yet. Okay. Yes. So buy two copies, share one with a mixed race friend. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's really nice. Thank you. Yeah. All uh, right. What about other social media? Do you have a, do you have like a Twitter or Instagram? Oh, or anything okay. Like that? Here's an Instagram. Ali Blamit, A L I B L A M I T, Ali Blamit, and then uh, I'm on uh, I'm on Facebook. Just go to Temp Words, and yeah, I'm not I, I can't I'm I'm not on Twitter. So before before we wrap up, though, uh, I am going to attend that that January eighth event, and um, I'm hoping that maybe we can get a little bit of a snippet of your reading uh, so that we can sort of share it on the future episode and and kind of tie it back to this episode so that people can actually hear because I think that I think it's also important not just that we talk about what we're doing but we actually get to hear what we're doing so yeah oh well I really appreciate that that is just fabulous and I can't wait to meet you in person that's gonna be great I'm excited yeah thank you so much for joining me on this on this show I feel like you there's a totally different element that you've brought into the the show than we've gotten a chance to experience so far which I think every episode does a version of that but this is this is a different level than um um, even I was anticipating it going into. So I'm, I'm really excited. Thank yeah. you again so much for joining me. And I will promote and promote your uh, your reading at Romans and hopefully we can get some more L.A. folks out there. That would be great. Show. And thank you so much for everything, for doing your work, for 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 this having this podcast for mixed people. Yay. Yay. Mixed people. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
Little Timmy Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mix, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.